I mean, I couldn't have written the story any better personally. I mean, I, I minored in Spanish in college. By no means am I a native Spanish speaker and had the ability to kind of mesh those two worlds. And so I knew the digital marketing conversation. I knew the business development conversation. I knew the value of uh, living abroad for a minute in Spain and coming back and kind of tying all of these pieces of my story together and having an opportunity to then leverage all of those skills uh, in, a, in a career trajectory just was, I mean, it was a dream come true. And so now I'm, now I'm grappling with all of the intricacies of how do, we, how do we grow, how do we scale, how do we you know, achieve the goals that we have for ourselves and, and the business has for us and uh, de deliver against those objectives. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to the GMI Rocket Show. Today's episode number 38. I'm your host, Roman Zalchenko. I'm a former immigration lawyer turned immigration entrepreneur. I'm the founder of Laborless, which is um, an immigration tech startup that automates H-1B compliance, and also the founder of GMI Rocket, which brings you this show. Today is a really interesting episode. You know, usually I'm interviewing uh, tech founders um, or, or just or, or like executives at companies or partners at, at big law firms. Um, mostly they are the sort of CEOs of the organization um, or, or founders or co-founders of the organizations that they're at. Today's in, a different one because we're interviewing basically an intrapreneur. Um, so a, a person who is within a really large corporation, but is actually kind of running almost a startup inside of it um, that we will uh, talk all about. Um, so my guest today is Damien Wilson, who is one of... He's basically leading a, a company called... Or a website called abogado.com, uh, which lives within Thomson Reuters, the kind of multinational uh, corporation. Um, and abogado.com, as we'll talk about, uh, basically was part of the organization and sort of Damien took the took the reins along with his team and and they've built it up and continue are continuing to build it as a platform that helps lawyers so including immigration lawyers who target or who work with Spanish speaking clients it's super interesting um you know it's all about kind of web marketing and digital marketing from that perspective um but I'm without further ado I'm not going to give the whole spiel because I don't know the whole spiel so um, Damien, thank you so much for for being here and for joining. And I appreciate your time and super excited to hear about everything you're working on. Hey, Roman, thank you for the warm introduction. <laughs> Certainly, uh, there's there's many more people behind the scenes than I am at Abogado.com um, and, and just excited to have an opportunity to chat about it. Yeah, totally. It's always like it's it's the team and the people who support us are, you know, the ones that... um that make everything happen. Um, but without further ado, you know, the thing that uh, Damien, you and I were chatting about was how important, at least I think it is to learn about the person behind an organization. You know, people could look at your website, they can look at marketing materials, they can look at sales materials. Um, and, and, you know, there's always kind of, you can jump to what you're passionate about, why you do what you do. But like, we were chatting a little bit before we kind of went live about some of the some of what you did sort of professionally before you started at Thomson Reuters. And, and, you know, whereas maybe typically in an interview, we don't think about like, well, what did you do during college as a job? But it's these little, these experiences form who we are and, and how we do business and sort of how we look at our profession. Um, so I'm excited to kind of, you know, share your story uh, with everyone, kind of learn about what makes you tick. Um, you are, you're based in Minnesota, right? Yes, Minneapolis. Yeah. I was uh, born in St. Paul, crossed the river, really branched out and uh, <laughs> went to school down the street. That's amazing. Um, I was going to go to an AILA conference in... Uh, I th think it was in Minneapolis that was supposed to take place last May. And then of course, with COVID, everything completely shut down, travel shut down. And then obviously with you know, the murder of George Floyd, like that was happening right on your... So I think at the at first, Ayla was like, we're not sure. But then they're like, you know what, we're going to sort of cancel. And they made everything digital. Um, but I was really excited to go because I've never actually been to... I've been to the Pacific Northwest, but I've never been to sort of a few of those somewhat Eastern states, right? Um, and just it's so beautiful. And I'm kind of bummed I didn't get to go, but hopefully over the next couple of years. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I think too another event that would have been really cool in in Minneapolis was the Hispanic National Bar Association was also going to have kind of a conference here and and um ended up having to do a, a virtual version which you know is is fantastic but um when you have that opportunity to meet people face to face it's I'm looking forward to a time when we can get back to that uh that type of setup as well. Yeah, totally. Um yeah, I I love I miss being in person, but you know, um so you you grew up in in St. Paul. Uh I what was it kind of, you know, I'm in New York City and I've met a lot of people from warmer states and they're like, I don't know how you deal, but I don't know how you deal. So how how did you deal? <laughs> you know, what was it like? I mean, how long are this is naive of me because I've never been, but how long are sort of the summers and the winters? I mean, we have a beautiful 3 months every year. <laughs> uh, no, but it's it's honestly not as bad as everyone makes it out to be. We like to to joke and kind of play into it, and right. um, you know, on on team calls uh, across the country, I, I'm consistently bringing up the weather, and I think that's just a Minnesota tendency to like to uh, weather shame other parts of the country and and brag about our our low temperatures. Um, but for the most part, we have some some pretty great summers. Um, everybody here is all about lakes and, and getting out on them. Uh, so uh, we are constantly on on the water as much as we can when the the weather allows us to. Is that kind of what you did when you were younger? I mean, you like family, friends, et cetera, spend time on lakes or outside, things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, so Minneapolis is one of the most active cities in the country in terms of outdoor uh, activities during the summer, and so it's it's kind of one of those things that you don't really inherently like think about uh, when you think of Minneapolis as people being outdoorsy, but it is certainly uh, the case. And, and people are always on, on bikes, kayaks, whatever, you know, any boats, uh, whatever they can do to get outdoors and enjoy. Certainly um, growing up, it was, it was, you know, just, just playing with friends, getting out on uh, at the time we were getting out on a friend's, uh, boat on on the Mississippi and and riding around, but now it's uh, a different part of town. We tend to go out to Lake Minnetonka, which is uh, a fairly known place in, mm-hmm. in the Twin Cities. Yeah, no, I've definitely. I think that's one of the only places I do know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always like to brag that I'm very geographically knowledgeable about the U.S., but um, that's basically um, that. So, and I'm I'm curious. I like to ask a little bit of this question to a lot of the guests, like, you know, it, when you're in high school or, or perhaps earlier, were you kind of like one of those entrepreneurial kids, like the lemons, lemonade stand, like selling baseball cards? Like, did you see yourself as that kind of kid or were you kind of studious and just, I'm going to, you know, like learn sciences and things like, or some, something in between it. I'm always curious about that. Yeah. I grew up in, uh, always doing some little side hustle, if you will. Uh, so yes, is the short answer to your question. We have the largest state fair, or the second largest state fair, something like that in the country. And so every year, a, a mass amount of people descend on the Twin Cities and go to that state fair. And growing up, I would consistently be parking cars on friends' yards, uh, just taking $5, $10 fee here or there, uh, and, and just literally taking, guiding a car in. I was not probably more than 10, 11, 12 years old, just lining up the lines at the start of the day and, and bringing cars onto the front yard. And, and, um, my first couple seasons, I did that. I did that. And then I did a pop stand as well. And then, uh, not shortly thereafter, I was negotiating with other yards, other neighbors who had front yards and saying, Hey, I'll split the profits with you. If you let me take uh, your yard and fill it up with cars all day long wow. too. Um, so always had that entrepreneurial itch, if you will. Uh, and it just, it, it it's continued. I mean, I, I found ways throughout my, uh, in college uh, as a young professional, as a, as a growing up professional now with, with some, uh, with two boys, a uh, wife, you know, now it's, it's Abogado and, and, Thomson Reuters and and finding new ways to entertain clients and figure out how I can be helpful to them, right? And that's that's ultimately what entrepreneurship is in my mind is finding how you can be helpful to another person and and delivering that value once you've you've uncovered it. I love that you were not just 
like side hustling, but you were like scaling your business when you were a kid. <laughs> You're like, all right, well, we got more demand. I'm out of room on this yard. So let me go like negotiate. I mean, you're kind of learning negotiation skills young. That's really, that's really fascinating. I don't know if I ever heard of anybody doing that at such a young age. I mean, I don't think that I was, I was anything special by any means, but <laughs> it was fun just to, to go through a season sitting literally start of the day to the end of the day at a, at a corner intersection and having a sign selling soda and water and uh, realizing that there's only so many people who are going to pass by. I can't make any more money unless more people pass by and then figuring out, oh, then we have to do X, Y, Z and the other to increase and, and grow and scale. And that problem solving element is is always a fun piece to the, the entrepreneurship pie, if you will. Yeah. I, I'm curious. I mean, not to, not to talk for too long about what your childhood entrepreneurial <laughs> endeavors were, but I'm curious, you know, because I didn't do, like, I think about, I asked this question in part because I didn't do this. I feel like, there was always like business discussion around me when I was a kid, but I don't, I never went out to do, maybe because I'm in New York City. And so I'm not going to set up a lemonade stand just right outside of my building or something like that. Although theoretically, there's way more foot traffic. I could have made more money, um, but I just never did that. And so I, I, I'm curious, like, do you remember at all, you know, when you earned that first couple bucks or like, you know, you're a kid and you're earning your own money? This isn't, this, this isn't money you're getting for your parents or doing chores. You're going out and doing it yourself. Was it, like, did your parents kind of encourage that? Or I don't know, was there any sort of kind of foundation of like, yeah, way to go? Or did they help you if you had questions? Yeah, so my parents were very encouraging in the sense of, of uh, letting me flourish in environments that that were conducive to to what I was good at or what I wanted to do. And so I, I always felt that they, you know, were open to questions if I ever had a question, but would always kind of have that go get it attitude. Like work ethic was kind of number one. It was like a baseline expectation. We're going to do whatever it is we're going to do and we're going to do it well and we're going to do it um, at as hard as we can, right? Reasonably. And so that was kind of the baseline expectation. But then in terms of support and, and guidance, they would always let me trip and fall and find where I was weak and find where I was strong and then and and kind of self-select into the things that were that I was passionate about. And so for me with the entrepreneurship, I, I probably made a couple of less than ideal decisions throughout that time frame growing up. And you know, they let me make those decisions and learn from them. And and so without being able to stumble a little bit, I think it's also hard to learn, right? If you're if you're in that padded environment, it it, it becomes a challenge to find the path that that ultimately leads to your success. I love that. I totally agree. And I'll be curious kind of maybe later on in our discussion to hear about what you think about that now that you're sort of within a large organization where probably there are more guardrails and of course, you know, it's more corporate, but you know, what opportunities there are to sort of experiment and try new things and perhaps fail maybe in a little bit of a more controlled environment or fashion, but still no, fail nonetheless. Um, but okay, so you you went to University of St. Thomas um, and you you went to undergrad there. You eventually you went to get your MBA later, right? But you got your degree in international business, which sounds like it makes sense, right? I mean, you're... Right? <laughs> um, did you... So we talked a little bit about some of the work that you're doing during college. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's super interesting. And I think it just shows that kind of string, the continuation of your, um, of your professional sort of... Uh, growth as an entrepreneur. So I don't know, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So I, I was one to kind of consistently have wear multiple hats. Uh, so I, I was a lifeguard for a good portion of high school as well as college and was doing that bright and early in the morning, uh, probably too early in the morning, given how late I was up at night in college, just being a college student and having fun. Um, and then would, would, uh, go to class during the day. And then I ran a, a franchise business my sophomore through senior year of College Pro, which is a painting and window cleaning company. Very uh, student focused. So their, their whole um, business is set up around students, kind of like uh, college nannies and tutors, if you will. Very similar setup, uh, just with um, 
exterior residential. So doing painting and window cleaning for uh, single family homes and going out, knocking on doors, making phone calls, sending emails, uh, finding the homeowners uh, and, and lining up the work, hiring student, college students to, to my first season, I was the one squeegeeing windows. And my second season, I had uh, figured out a way that I didn't have to squeegee all the windows. I was still doing that. And then by the third year, I had a team of, of individuals running their own franchises and uh, employing other college students. And so it's, it's one of those things where um, kind of going back to the, the, the parking cars as a kid, I mean, it, it just, you, you start to see what works, what doesn't work, and, and you just iterate. And that's, that's what I did throughout college uh, and, and the bandwidth you know, I look back on it now and I think maybe my life now is, 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 uh, more simple <laughs> than it was then. Yeah. Having one job where you, you know, have your set hours sounds nice sometimes. Right? <laughs> um, that's awesome. Uh, and, and so you're, and I'm just, I'm, I'm a little curious, you effectively by your senior year, you had, you hired other college students who themselves hired other college students to squeegee and clean windows and things like that. Did, did, was it set up in a business structure where like you took some cut of what everyone was doing? And if so, like, how did you set that up? I mean, did you have templates from the company? I mean, how do you figure all that out as a college kid? Yeah. So that was kind of the beauty at the time was it was a franchise business, right? So it was kind of a, here's a business in a box and yeah. you get to, we have the, the, you know, we set up the insurance, we set up the, all of the difficult things that would normally be not possible for a, a, a you know, limited hour of the day college student to go out and, and, and find. Not that there aren't many college students who can do that and have done that and started amazing businesses. Uh, but for, for somebody who needed, you know, some of the boxes checked before they, they started their entrepreneurial journey, it was a great fit. And it worked well for me um, just in developing my, my sales skills, my uh, organizational skills, uh, at the time, I probably had zero um, leadership skills, uh, you know, going from not having any employees to having employees and having to figure out the dynamics therein. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot to be learned. Uh, so it's kind of like a, a mini MBA mm -hmm. all at once. And so that, you know, for me was, was a very formative time in my business uh, development. That's Super cool. Um, yeah, listening to that, I, when I was in college, I had internships at investment banks, which sounded cool at the time, but very much no no room to like experiment and try things out and fail and things like that. I thought I was cool walking into a big building in a suit when I was you know 20 years old, but um, very different experiences. And I feel like I should have probably taken a summer where I just kind of tried something like that out, you know, kind of build my own business. Yeah, um, even with the franchise thing, but something good to think about for future for students right now, right? Even law students, I think, um, who might be listening or, or what have you, you can. There's still opportunity to kind of learn to do something on your own, even with limited hours, just to get that. Even if it fails, but to your point, just to have the experience of leading somebody, of of taking ownership over decisions, to having accountability for if something goes wrong. Um, really incredible experiences that if you do them at a really uh, kind of um, low in a low risk environment <clears throat> where okay fine someone's windows weren't clean but it's not like a case that's gonna you know ruin yeah, someone's and, life. And, and the other piece too is is as a college student you're always looking for opportunities to to bolster your resume find ways to to add value to others in a meaningful way and and be able to then point to them and say hey you know I, I'm worthy of this job that now I, I'm trying to apply for and I have the skills necessary not just uh, you know, as a person, but I have a documented series of, of successes that I can point to and say, Hey, here's where I succeeded at that skill. I just, you know, for me, it was, it was the right move. I love it. Well, so then when your kids are growing up, put them, put them in those lemonade, get them selling pop right away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, sorry. So you graduated college, right? And then you, I guess it, you started really at um, Thomson Reuters basically right away, right? Um, yeah, so I finished out that last season. Again, those two businesses, right? Painting and window cleaning, they're very seasonal, especially in Minnesota where the second the snow flies, I mean, 
good luck. You're, you want to get on a ladder when it's ice on, on the ground, you're going to, so finished out that season. And then from there on, yeah, I've been at Thompson writers ever since. And what was that first, can you talk a little bit about kind of how you got the job or why, or, or kind of what made you, um, you know, join the organization in the, in the beginning? So Thompson Reuters is a, a pretty well, at least in the Minnesota market, uh, it's a large employer in the state. And so plenty of people have a connection there. Some Somebody they know works uh, in that office. There's a couple of Fortune 500 companies that are also based here, um, quite a few actually. But uh, for me, it was uh, a very reputable company. I I didn't have aspirations to be a lawyer myself, but I really liked the law in in theory, right? Like I liked uh, law and order and I liked these different, like uh, just, just silly things. Right. But for me, that, that was cool. I, I, I gravitated towards it. And so applying at Thompson writers was kind of um, at first, not where I saw myself long-term. It was, I think this is cool. Let me, let me try this out. Let me, let me prove to myself I can do it. And so I applied and and ended up interviewing several rounds of interviews and and got a very entry level position, um, great job for a college student. And what I was doing at the time was calling uh, law firms and asking them if they wanted new print subscriptions and um, you know updates to their Black's Law Dictionary or other uh, you know different publications that were sitting as furniture on the attorney's desk behind them. <laughs> right. And then, and, and how did that go? I mean, I guess you're, so it's basically, it was like a outbound sales. Like you came in, you got on the phone and started building relationships and calling attorneys. And um, was it nationwide? I mean, were you calling attorneys around the country or was it kind of regional? I had a series of different territories that I would be working with attorneys. Uh, I started mostly in the corporate space. So I was working with, um, Corporations that had a legal department. Uh, so if it was a tax professional, right, we'd be talking to them about tax publications. And so the, the cool part about the job was I got to learn a lot about the, the law. Again, not the intricacies, the inner workings, but but conceptually, right? I got to get my hands uh, into a lot of, of spaces that I knew nothing about. I mean, absolutely nothing about. And you have that conversation 25, 30, 40 times, you start picking up little pieces here or there. And I loved it. I mean, it was, it was repetitive in the sense of, of making calls and emails and, and doing the daily tasks. Right. But ultimately where I, I really enjoyed being able to have conversations with people who are doing way cooler things than I was and having that, you know, whether it was legal publications, whether it was Westlaw, whether it was any of these different, um, services, products, being able to talk to people who are doing really cool things and learn about them and, and figure out how I could help them to do that thing better. And, and for me, that's always been where I thrive is I, I ask a couple of questions. I uncover what it is somebody is trying to accomplish, talk to them about the vision they have for their business and, and figure out how we can problem solve that together, whether it's it's a you know a paid strategy or if it's if it's hey, here's three things that I would change immediately on you gave me a couple of tips on my LinkedIn. Um, you know, here's here's three things that I would do differently and see how that goes and let me know. You know, um, those iterative conversations over time are are really exciting for me at least. So I know you also Trying to kind of jumped or not jumped around, but you moved up, right? And and it it sounds like I mean I think as I was at least looking at your um your your LinkedIn, um you went from you were part of the Find Law um, organization, which I think you are in now, as far as I understand, Abogado.com is part of that, which is sort of the marketing side of things. But then there was also like you said, it was there's also like the legal tech, like the SaaS Thomson Reuters SaaS part of things. So. I'm just I'm curious before we get into sort of how you got into abogado.com um and, and how that organization even became part of Thomson Reuters, for you, were you thinking about what within the legal space you want to focus on? Or was it kind of like growth opportunities and learning what was different and really getting a big better understanding of the legal of kind of the business of law, um, which in part is technology, in part is marketing. 
Um, and for me, that's this show is kind of covers both, right? I, I think there's a lot of information out there about the technical legal aspects of immigration law and, and other um, uh, legal uh, sectors, but not all that much about sort of how do you run a firm? How do you market your firm? You know, what are the different technologies out there? So I'm just curious for you, you know, within a huge organization, one of the perks is that you can learn a lot by moving around. Um, so I'm just curious, sort of, were you thinking about that or was it kind of like opportunities came up and you just said, sure, I'll try it out? Yeah, for me, it's always been um, what what resonates in the job uh, with who I am as a person, right? And so for me, it was at, at the start, it was the, the print publications. I, I really didn't know anything about any aspect of the law, but that got me kind of grounded in, okay, here are the different practice areas. Here are the different... Uh, types of law here, the different entities, right? Whether it's a small law firm, a, a government entity, a corporate entity, learning those details as a uh, freshly minted college graduate, I knew none of this stuff. Um, shortly thereafter, I, I was just eating up that information and, and got into, after a year or so, maybe two years, into our our some of our technology, right? So some of like our Westlaw solutions, um, plenty of, of automated form documents. Um, I'm trying to think back on just exactly all of the different uh, SaaS products that that we would communicate with attorneys about. But for me, where I kind of found my home, and I actually left this home and returned to it because I, I liked it so much, was in fine law. Fine law is is effectively, and I'm sure many of your audience members already know about about this uh, part of Thomson Reuters, but it's effectively the digital marketing arm and helping attorneys to grow their practice. What is it that you want to accomplish over the next five years? And let's let's build that business. Let's set that that's let's set that in intentionality, that vision, and look towards how we can accomplish that in a digital world. And work backwards from there. Sure. Are there transactional items? Yeah, we want to get, you know, this, this, in this metro, we want to show up this way. In this metro, we want to show up this way. But the conversations that I really loved and what brought me back to fine law um, was having those vision conversations with small business owners, right? Attorneys. And ultimately, that's why I went back and got my MBA, not my uh, JD. Uh, one, because I probably couldn't get into law school. I'm not that great of a student. <laughs> but um, but also, I liked having my hands in, in those different businesses, talking to business owners about how they're, you know, what changes they made this past year that, that drastically uh, transformed their business from a, a, a solo shop into a 11 attorney firm or, you know, every story is a little bit different. But but that is what really excited me and brought me back to fine law. And then on the Abogado side of the house, that was really where um, it was kind of one of those things where you get tapped on the shoulder and you don't know exactly what it is you're signing up for, but you know it's going to be good. And um, I, I was a, a member of the team that I am now um, tasked with leading and I mean, I couldn't have written the story any better personally. I mean, I, I minored in Spanish in college. By no means am I a native Spanish speaker and had the ability to kind of mesh those two worlds. And so I knew the digital marketing conversation. I knew the business development conversation. I knew the value of uh, living abroad for uh, a minute in Spain and coming back and kind of tying all of these pieces of my story together and having an opportunity to then leverage all of those skills uh, in, a, in a career trajectory just was, I mean, it was a dream come true. And so now I'm, now I'm grappling with all of the intricacies of how do we, how do we grow? How do we scale? How do we um, you know, achieve the goals that we have for ourselves and, and the business has for us? and uh, de deliver against those objectives. That's amazing. Um, you really, especially I feel like nowadays, you just don't hear about that happening too often, right? And, and especially in large organizations. And I keep coming back to that because I have so many friends who work in corporate environments and it's, 
really, really cool and refreshing to hear that like not only have you enjoyed it, you've actually found basically this path that uh, is perfect for you. Um, I, I'm curious because you know I definitely because I want to hear about I want to talk about uh, how Abogado.com works and sort of what your goals are for it. But I'm curious, how did it get rolled into Thomson Reuters? Like, what's the history of the of the organization? Because it's kind of like a little mini arm within the broader find law organization, right? So I don't know. Can you talk a little bit about the history of how Abogado.com found its way into Thomson Reuters? Yeah, absolutely. So several years ago, and I'm not, please don't ask me exactly how many I should know, but it, it, it's escaping me in this moment. Um, at least five. Uh, Law Info was its own company, and it was uh, a legal directory, much like Fine Law, Super Lawyers. They had websites, they have um, a variety of services that they offered. Thomson Reuters viewed that business and, and understood that there was some value there and and decided to acquire that business. And with that transaction, they also had this fledgling directory underneath it, which was abogado.com, which um, both of which at the moment are on uh, pretty incredible growth trajectories. And now that they've been integrated into the the Thomson Reuters and, and Fine Law family. And a lot of that has to do with just the secret sauce from an SEO perspective on the back end that uh, we can geek out about later. I don't know if your audience would be super excited about. Um, But in that process of bringing that on board, we've been able to, to over time, grow the traffic organically, grow the um, functionality, the the benefits that law firms get for actually being um, a partner with us in that growth and, and becoming a part of our story and, and helping ultimately Spanish language legal consumers uh, navigate the intricacies of that world. I can only imagine if I, you know, if I, if I moved to Germany and I didn't speak German, how would I find a lawyer? How would I, I mean, I, I would Google in my native language, how do I find a, you know, like you would just do it. That's exactly the path. And so that's, Ultimately, the problem that we're solving is helping that Spanish language legal consumer um, find an attorney that is going to meaningfully help them along um, their immigration journey, their criminal law journey, their personal injury journey, whatever that case family law journey, whatever that case may be. uh, Ultimately, we're, we're helping that consumer get to someone who can help their legal need, but also their linguistic need. And so when you join the team... Um, when you joined the when you joined the Abogado.com team within Thomson Reuters, um, was it because it it sounds like you're on a growth trajectory, uh, which is really exciting. So that that means that at the time you joined, it was much smaller, and it was like, how did that happen? Because you know there must have been some, I mean, there has to have been some uh, idea or some kind of almost pitch, right, to say like, look, you you personally are an individual who are clearly doing well at, at the company. You're helping a lot of clients, etc. There's probably other opportunities for you to really kind of shine within the organization. Why go here? Like, what was the pitch to for like, hey, let's here's this part of the business that's I, I suppose it sounds like was relatively small at the time. Let's not keep it. Let's grow it. Like, let's put the gas, you know, a step on the gas. So I don't know what was your what was your pitch for that? Because now, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. It sounds great. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. But like at the time, you know, that's what I'm curious about here because. To me, this is the parallel of when you start a business early on, how do you pitch it to new clients? How do you pitch it to investors? How do you sort of convince people that there's inherent value here and that it, there should be resources put into it? So I'm curious, sort of, how did you navigate that or how did that happen for you? So I'm kind of a weird numbers person, like not, not calculus, not, not, I'm, I'm talking bar napkin math. I mean, like, X's and O's on a piece of paper, like it's very simple tasks. But for me, I, I track a lot of metrics, and 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 that in that exercise, in in knowing the metrics of my business um, at the time, and knowing just applying them to another part of the business, and having kind of this mix of experience where I really really liked the fine law world, I liked helping small business owners, attorneys grow their practices, and um, Seeing that this was this was uh, kind of an untapped market, not in the sense that there wasn't legal need in the marketplace, but there wasn't someone 
leading this charge. There wasn't somebody out there. And, and by no means am I saying nobody was selling this product before um, I or my team came into this. There was tons of people who are, are instrumental to the growth of Abogado and all of the behind the scenes, um, you know, people who are making the SEO work, people who are making, you know, the, the, the content and, and constantly creating new ways for us to um, be more valuable to our customers. All of that is happening. And there are kind of an unmet demand in the marketplace. And, and doing that bar napkin math, for me, it was, it was kind of one of those aha moments, just going, again, I don't know exactly what I have here, but there's something here. And I'm sure with Laborless, like I'm guessing you kind of had that aha moment too, just just whenever it was for you. For me, it was I'm I'm doing well as a I was selling into corporations at the time, uh selling kind of Westlaw and 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 practical law and, and all of these attorney tools to practice the law. And I wasn't getting super excited for me personally. There are tons of people who wake up every morning and are, are ecstatic about those tools. I wasn't one of them. And for whatever reason, this spoke to me in a really meaningful way. And, and from that moment, uh, you know, it, it just, it opened up doors that I, I, I couldn't script it. I, I, I if I had written this story, I, I, I wouldn't have gotten to this. I don't know if I would have even gotten to this point. Um, it, it, it's just, it's been a blessing and, and I'm excited every day to, to lead this charge. That's amazing. Um, it's cool that you, number one, recognize that. And then of course, number two, that it, was, that it happened. I want to take a, a quick pause here just to kind of give a few people some shout outs. Neil Alvarado says Spanish, the second most spoken language in the US. Totally. I, you know, it's funny. I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm in New York City. We, I spent many years in, my, in middle school and high school learning Spanish. I took Spanish in college. <clears throat> I took a Spanish class in law school. And like, I'm, I'm decent. I'm conversational, but really not as good as I should be given the amount of years I spent learning it. It's really hard if you don't practice it on a, really on a daily basis and talk to someone. It's just tough. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and that's the other cool thing is, is I've been able to... Uh, I mean, the, the team that I, I get to work with every day, it is uh, many of them... Uh, all of them, for the most part, are bilingual. Some of them are native Spanish speakers. I mean, it is just a cool environment to be in. And we're bringing that energy, that conversation to law firms across the country and helping them to get excited about it too. And, and so uh, and to Neil's point about it being the second um, most spoken language in the US, I think another uh, part of this market that that's, it's easy to, to, to miss if you're not looking for it, the U.S. is the second largest Spanish-speaking market, period, end of sentence, behind Mexico. And so like, that's, that's a crazy statistic, too, that, that I, don't, I personally didn't uh, until join, you know, coming on this journey. I didn't necessarily know that. And, and so there's, there's a variety of, of really cool analytics that, that speak to the need that's out there and, and being able to help um, Lawyers tap into this market and better serve their customers is is exciting and why I do the job. Um, oh, we have one, one more question here that I I think is a really interesting one. So Marcos kind of asks, um, what's the what's the biggest what's the biggest difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur, um, and what's the one thing that entrepreneurs can learn from entrepreneurs? Because I think often you do see it the opposite way. Entrepreneurs. You know, learn from entrepreneurs because maybe they have less boundaries or what have you. But what do you think uh, could be the other way around that people who are starting their own business from scratch can learn from someone in your position who's growing a business within a large organization? Man, that's a loaded question. Um, there's just a lot to unpack. I, for me, I let me speak to just where I I see value as an entrepreneur. I I really like that I have some guardrails. For someone who has kind of a, a isn't able to provide the structure for themselves, an entrepreneur kind of can can come in and and place themselves within an organization within those guardrails and thrive. And an entrepreneur tends to 
be able to create out of nothing. And it's not that one is better than the other. I think that there's just inherent differences in both roles and and a person is going to find themselves either in one category or the other. I learn things from entrepreneurs every day. And I, I, you know, even just your session, your, your immigration conference, I pulled so much value out of that conference. It, it was unbelievable. Uh, just learning from different minds on, on digital marketing and how people are, are carving their own paths. I mean, that was the, the cool thing about that conference is every single person, every speaker there truly had their own lane, separate lane, right? And so they were able to kind of carve out a, a meaningful path within the digital marketing space for their uh, immigration message and be able to then, or, or personal injury message, and, and be able to speak to it and share their story and their journey with everyone. And so I learned a lot from you and the conference that you put on. And then in, in terms of in, entrepreneurs and what we bring to the table, I'll, I'll put myself in that category. I think there's a lot that... I think corporate America kind of gets a bad rap sometimes in terms of just that, you know, you got to show up at nine, you got to work till five, and then you got to, you know, put in your expense reports and and do all the, the check all the boxes, right? And although some of that, there, there's inherent truth to that, I think there's also an opportunity for for growth and scale and, and diff, be able to scratch that entrepreneurial itch within a, a safe environment and be able to to thrive in that space too. And, and so for me, it, it, it worked on all levels. And now that I've got two boys, um, Alex and Henry, they are, are I, I, for example, I just got off of a, a paternity leave uh, not so long ago, a benefit that Thomson Reuters employees get um, where you get a, a significant amount of paid time off, right? Those are things that a, an entrepreneur may or may not be able to, to leverage themselves and be able to spend that time, precious time with their family. So I think both have incredible benefits. It just depends on where you see yourself in that equation. Yeah, no, that's totally true. You're right. It does get a bad rep. I think I think it does. And it, <laughs> I think it's changing um, because there are a lot more opportunities like you've mentioned, but that's a really great point. Yeah, thank you for for sharing that. Um, I, you know, I wanted to ask because we've talked a lot about kind of how you got there and your vision. Um, can you just can you talk a little bit about how Abogado.com works? Because I think at this like, we haven't really dove into that. And so, what does it do? How does it work? And how can I know you don't just focus on immigration lawyers, but of course, because you focus on the Spanish-speaking sort of legal community, immigration is a large, you know, pretty probably sizable chunk of that. Um, yeah, how does the how does Abogado.com work? And sort of how to lawyers out there, um, how can they benefit from it? You know, what does it do? Yeah, so it is a online platform and if it, it serves different purposes for different users. The law firm it, themselves can be the destination for the Spanish language legal consumer. Okay. So if I do it, let's let's look at it from the lens of the the legal consumer. If they're out there and they're in their cell phone, right? They're pulling up uh, Google and doing Abogado de Inmigración in Phoenix or in New York or uh, Abogado de Visa in uh, Sacramento, whatever the search ultimately is on, on the mobile device. When that search comes in almost, and there's no guarantees with Google, but we've done an incredible job and I take no credit for that because uh, there's a massive team of people making sure that that the, the SEO is on point and, and that our search results or our directory populates within search results, but it, it shows up pretty highly organically in Google. And so then when that consumer chooses that path, they choose to click on the, that search result, it takes them into a list of attorneys that one are um, a firm that's identified that they want to take Spanish speaking business, but also for that practice area. So um, whether it's personal injury, family law, divorce, you do that search, abogado de divorcio in uh, Boston, right? Like any search in Spanish, typically speaking, will populate our directory. And so the consumer then can go in and, and answer whatever question that they have or, or communicate with the law firm and retain their services. So 
There's also other elements of Avogadro.com that are really powerful. There's a lot of free information on Avogadro.com for the end user as well. So if, if you know, you need information about an immigration matter, for example, you know, the platform does not necessarily answer the question. It, it gives you enough information to engage a lawyer and find, hey, oh, this is the matter that I have. This is the issue that I'm having. I got to talk to Roman about that, that issue, right? And so that's the purpose of the platform is to be the connective tissue between the law firm and um, the Spanish language legal consumer. And so for the lawyers, do they create a profile? Do they fill out some sort of information? Like, how does it look? And I mean, is there is it paid? Like, do they have to pay to be on it? Like, I don't know, how, do, how, does that, how does it work? Yeah, so it is a paid platform. Um, that is part of, uh, you know, the, the purpose is to connect and create value for the two people. Um, so you would engage uh, a member of my team or, or uh, you can message me after the show if you have questions and are interested. But you go in uh, and, and, and speak with that individual and then you're presented with a series of options. So maybe you're a law firm that does a, a series of practice areas and you would want coverage in, in those areas. And um, maybe you have a regional aspect to your practice. You want to be in these particular counties or now with uh, immigration being uh, virtual and it's almost in its entirety across the U.S., a lot of attorneys are, are looking at it differently, right? They're, they're choosing to have more of a national or regional uh, presence for their practice because ultimately if if we're going to be conducting business this way, uh, the, the brick and mortar location doesn't matter anymore. Right. And so that's the part where we can um, you know, have that vision conversation. Where is it that you see yourself being in five years or in two years or what growth goals do you have over the next six months and work backwards and, and figure out what it means then, how many impressions, how many clicks, how many uh, shares, how many, how much engagement in social media or on website content or on, um, you know, how is the SEO of your website? How are, is, are you doing blog posts or do you have social, um, you know, do you have campaigns set up that are going to get you there? And if you don't, let's talk about those components that other law firms are deploying and show you the, the measurable ways that you can get there. That's the part that that I really gravitate towards and love having those conversations. It, it's like a consultative conversation. I mean, it, it, part of it is, yeah, you get the platform, but the other thing is like, let's dive into the way you're running your business now, what your goals are and how we can bridge you over, build a bridge towards those goals, right? Using X, Y, Z. And I'm assuming then you help them with like, fill the gaps with of what they need. Yeah. And sometimes it's not something that we even offer. I mean, sometimes sometimes we're we're just being the connective tissue to another vendor or another. Um, you know, we we uncover that the problem is is in a particular part of their intake that they don't have a, a ability to track that case all the way through. Well, maybe we need to connect them to a different part of Thomson Reuters or a different vendor and and be the just the introduction there to help them facilitate that. Sometimes it's. Uh, attorneys don't take particular cases and they want to know another firm that they can refer those cases to. And we happen to know a lot of law firms and be able to refer those cases different directly. So it, it, there are an absolute bounty of ways that, that we, we uh, work with firms in that space. And it, it's more about learning what, what, what's going on at the firm today and where do they want to be and what's holding them back and then and then taking it from there and, and building a, a business development plan to get them to that destination. Yeah, that's super fun. I love that approach too. I love that kind of discussion. Um, I, I wanted to, I, I was hoping to um, you know, maybe nerd out for a few minutes on this because you did mention SEO uh, before. You know, do you have any because we're we're talking, you're you're basically an expert on this and your team. Um do you have any sort of things that you see a lot of firms doing that you can just say, look, there's a high likelihood that most law firms out there are not doing X, Y, Z or should be doing ABC. I mean, do you have any sort of like really kind of high level tips that you can, uh, that you can share? Usually I don't ask people to kind of just share tips, but I think this is what you do. Like you help uh, support law firms in their growth. 
you know, for example, I can give you the top two or three things I know immigration lawyers don't do on on LinkedIn that they can certainly do to you know increase um, their their engagement and make their profiles better. I'm curious what maybe some of those things are for for you or from what you see. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest thing to remember, especially in my space, is that um, we're talking about a Spanish language legal consumer. Grounding the conversation there, I think, is, is important because ultimately a lot of law firms are viewing their website, their LinkedIn pages, their as their their kind of public business card, right? If you will, this is this is who I am, and this is what I'm about. Well, a lot of times we forget about this third player, you know, in the market between. Um, the the consumer and the law firm, and it's Google. The, the the language isn't necessarily Spanish that that is being that that uh, you know that Google cares about. It, it's the the code of the website. It's it's things um, a variety of things that can can make or break uh, your ability to break into those those top results. And so to to simplify it, I think there's a series of very simple steps that law firms can can um, implement that are uh, seemingly trivial and not trivial at all. Having if you're not going to have any Spanish language content on your site, it's going to be really hard for you to show up organically in search results. So, as silly as that sounds, uh, adding some sort of Spanish language content to your website uh, in highly competitive markets like Manhattan. Uh, you know, there, there's lots of law firms with an abundance of content um, and high quality content as well. In different parts of the country, that may or may not be the case. And so having a little bit of content and do a Spanish language search to see who's showing up there. Look, poke around on their website and see what, what they're doing. Are they blogging in Spanish? Are they, do they have Spanish language reviews? None of these things necessarily cost money. You can be doing these as an attorney. Um, if you choose it does cost money. And what I'll say is it just costs money in a different way, right? Your time. Uh, if you're if you're writing blog posts, you are not necessarily practicing the law, right? And so you're, you're instead of charging for your services, you're... Uh, so with that being said, if you have Spanish content on the site um, and you want to attract more Spanish uh, business, I think the other thing to open up is your referral networks. So a lot of times, other firms want to send you business, but they don't know you take Spanish cases, right? And, and so having every location that you exist on the web, having some reference to Spanish, if you have uh, the ability to take Spanish-speaking business, make sure you're doing that. Take that opportunity. Things like LinkedIn. Not very many firms actually say that they take Spanish on their LinkedIn uh, page itself. Uh, attorneys often don't check the box that they speak Spanish on their language uh, section of LinkedIn. Like these are little things, uh, state bar websites, for example. If you don't have that box checked and some some attorney, right, it's not going to be a, an end user, it'll be an attorney looking in the state bar website, they're going to do a search potentially for law firms, criminal law firms, if you're not familiar with the area, criminal law firms, in uh, Miami that takes Spanish. And then there's going to be five names. I'm going to choose from one of the names and I'm just going to send the lead there. If you're not there on that list, you can't get that lead. And so like there's, there's and then there's other platforms, our platforms, uh, as well as, uh, you know, competing online directories. There are an abundance of places for free, no more than you are spending today that you can be promoting the fact that you speak Spanish or have Spanish speaking staff or that you want Spanish-speaking business uh, and that you're taking active steps in your business to do so. If that means you're bringing in a translator and are then able to work that case, fantastic. Just be open, be honest, say who you are and what it is you're about. You want Spanish-speaking business and do so any place that you can meaningfully on the web. And that gives you a significant leg up because most firms aren't taking that step. It's funny because it's it's you're right. It's so simple. I mean, you just say the thing that you want. That that's all you got to do. At, at the very least, just say we take Spanish speaking clients, and that in and of itself can be such a powerful move because you're not making people assume. You're not giving them the opportunity to assume. You're actually filling in that information gap and saying, no, we 
we do take these types of cases. Yeah, Hablamos Espanol on the top right corner of your website with a phone number specific to a, a line that's going to be answered by a Spanish speaker or a, a service. I mean, there's plenty of phone answering services. We offer one that actually answers the phones in Spanish. Like there's there's so many different ways that, that you can um, open yourself up to that customer if you just raise your hand. And, and many law firms are, are way hyper aware of that and take and and on that track and there's other firms that are interested and just haven't put two and two together and so we're we're kind of um working with both ends of that spectrum and figuring out how we can play a, a role in in connecting the law firm with that spanish language consumer i know we have about 3 more minutes i wanted to ask you one more question and, and that is you know what do you see for the future of of abogado.com you know, I mean, you're in it. You're you're saying there's a growth trajectory. Can you give us a little bit of insight? You know, whatever you can share about what does that some of that growth mean? Is it more clients? Is it more services? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say even in the time that I've been here, um, the the breadth of services has deepened significantly. I mean, when I started, it was we'd add you to the directory. You'd be a name on a list. You'd have a phone number. You'd have a basic profile, and people would call you. That, that was kind of the service at the time. Since then, we've added the ability to get reviews on that platform, add photos, add links out to social media, uh, connect in uh, Spanish contents pages of your website. So if you don't have those, we can even uh, you know, create those for a, a firm and have Spanish language content. We can do their website if they want a bilingual approach to outsourcing their website business to us. Um, Spanish language PPC, Spanish language social media. So in the the small time that I have been a a part of the Avogado story, there has been an incredible, and I take no credit for its incredible growth, incredible growth um, from a product service standpoint and what we offer. And and, um, where I've found incredible value is in the customer conversations and being able to work with small business owners on how they can leverage those platforms to achieve the goals that they have. And and if I had to put a bet down on the table, I would say that uh, the the small law firm customers who really, you know, one attorney solo shops, one attorney firms, all the way up to, you know, 50, 100 attorney firms, they're going to take on more and more Spanish speaking business as they realize the opportunity that's in front of them. And so just excited to play some role in that in that uh, equation and continue on this journey. I love it. Super exciting. And you know what? As a lot of immigration reform is coming down, the you know the pike in, in terms of normalizing people's status. I mean, Venezuelan TPS. There's DACA, right? I mean, there's so much out there where more and more Spanish speakers are going to look for um, you know illegal services. I think that. And this is, yeah, it's a brilliant move. Um, I like to end these shows on sort of a more of a fun, I suppose, question. You've basically spent your whole career right now, you know, at this point at Thomson Reuters in, in one one way or uh, shape or form. Um, but you started off, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, the water bottle, um, uh, Thomson Reuters water bottle. But you started oh. off building a, a scaling, um, you know, summertime sort of window cleaning Kind of business when you're in, co- in college, or well, first you were parking cars, scaling, you know that, um, which is of course funny, but like true, uh, and, and and certainly in a, in a in a pretty meaningful way. If for some reason, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, so if if Thomson Reuters corporate is watching, Damien's not going anywhere. But but if you were like, I'm retiring tomorrow, I'm going to start my own business. Do you have like that dream business that you've always thought? You know what? If I had you know, sometime down the line, sometime in the future, I want to do this. Oh, that's an exciting question. I, I, I don't have a good answer for you, Roman. I think that I would, I, I, I do see myself as being an entrepreneur and, and starting my own business, but I think it'd be much more along the lines of, of, you know, career adjacent, something that I can do in my off time as a hobby and enjoy, uh, the, the, the fruits of, of my labor thus far in my career. And, and so 
the the short term answer is absolutely not. This is I am so excited about the space that I'm in. Long term, who knows? Um, but as an entrepreneur yourself, as an entrepreneur myself, I, I will permanently have that that itch to create. It's just it's in my DNA, and so that that you know will will be with me forever. Where that takes me, I don't know. Fair, love it. Well, Damien, thank you so much. Um, I know you're a busy man and you've got to run. So really appreciate your time and your insights, um, not just about the story, but also about quite literally what people listening can do to up their game in terms of, you know, kind of their their law firm um, marketing, particularly for Spanish speaking audiences. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for being here and, and sharing with us. Absolutely. Thanks, Roman. 